Book Five, Chapter Three of the Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Book Five, Chapter Three: The Battle of Shoreby concluded. Dick, once more left to his own counsels, began to look about him. The arrow shot had somewhat slackened. On all sides the enemy were falling back, and the greater part of the marketplace was now left empty. The snow here trampled into orange mud, there splashed with gore, scattered all over with dead men and horses, and bristling thick with feathered arrows. On his own side the loss had been cruel. The jaws of this little street and the ruins of the barricade were heaped with the dead and dying and out of the hundred men with whom he had begun the battle, there were not seventy left who could still stand to arms. At the same time, the day was passing. The first reinforcements might be looked for to arrive at any moment, and the Lancasterians, already shaken by the result of their desperate but unsuccessful onslaught, were in an ill temper to support a fresh invader. There was a dial in the wall of one of the two flanking houses, and this, in the frosty, wintry sunshine, indicated ten of the forenoon. Dick turned to the man who was at his elbow, a little insignificant archer, binding a cut in his arm. It was well fought, he said, and, by my sooth, they will not charge us twice. Sir, said the little archer, ye have fought right well for York, and better for yourself. Never hath a man in so brief space prevailed so greatly on the duke's affections. That he should have entrusted such a post to one he knew not is a marvel. But look to your head, Sir Richard, if ye be vanquished, ay, if ye give away one foot's breath, axe or cord shall punish it. And I am set, if ye do aught doubtful, I will tell you honestly, here to stab you from behind. Dick looked at the little man in amaze. You? he cried, and from behind. It is right so, returned the archer, and because I like not the affair, I tell it you. Ye must make good the post, Sir Richard, at your peril. Oh, our crookback is a bold blade and a good warrior, but whether in cold blood or in hot, he will have all things done exact to his commandment. If any fail or hinder, they shall die the death. Now by the saints, cried Richard, is this so, and will men follow such a leader? Nay, they follow him gleefully, replied the other, for if he be exact to punish, he is most open-handed to reward. And if he spare not the blood and sweat of others, he is ever liberal of his own, still in the first front of battle, still the last to sleep. He will go far, will crookback Dick a Gloucester. The young knight, if he had been before brave and vigilant, was now all the more inclined to watchfulness and courage. His sudden favour, he began to perceive, had brought perils in its train, and he turned from the archer, and once more scanned anxiously the marketplace. It lay empty as before. I like not this quietude, he said. Doubtless they prepare us some surprise. And, as if in answer to his remark, the archers began once more to advance against the barricade, and the arrows to fall thick. But there was something hesitating in the attack. They came not on roundly, 
but seemed rather to await a further signal. Dick looked uneasily about him, spying for a hidden danger, and sure enough, about halfway up the little street, a door was suddenly opened from within, and the house continued for some seconds, and by both door and window, to disgorge a torrent of Lancasterian archers. These, as they leaped down, hurriedly stood to their ranks, bent their bows, and proceeded to pour upon Dick's rear a flight of arrows. At the same time, the assailants in the marketplace redoubled their shot, and began to close in stoutly upon the barricade. Dick called down his whole command out of the houses, and facing them both ways, and encouraging their valour, both by word and gesture, returned as best he could the double shower of shafts that fell about his post. Meanwhile, house after house was opened in the street, and the Lancasterians continued to pour out of the doors and leap down from the windows, shouting victory until the number of enemies upon Dick's rear was almost equal to the number in his face. It was plain that he could hold the post no longer. What was worse, even if he could have held it, it had now become useless, and the whole Yorkist army lay in a posture of helplessness upon the brink of a complete disaster. The men behind him formed the vital flaw in the general defence, and it was upon these that Dick turned, charging at the head of his men. So vigorous was the attack that the Lancasterian archers gave ground and staggered, and at last, breaking their ranks, began to crowd back into the houses from which they had so recently and so vaingloriously sallied. Meanwhile, the men from the marketplace had swarmed across the undefended barricade and fell on hotly upon the other side, and Dick must once again face about and proceed to drive them back. Once again, the spirit of his men prevailed. They cleared the street in a triumphant style, but even as they did so, the others issued again out of the houses and took them a third time upon the rear. The Yorkists began to be scattered. Several times Dick found himself alone among his foes and plying his bright sword for life. Several times he was conscious of a hurt, and meanwhile the fight swayed to and fro in the street without determinate result. Suddenly Dick was aware of a great trumpeting about the outskirts of the town. The way-cry of York began to be rolled up to heaven as by many and triumphant voices and at the same time the men in front of him began to give ground rapidly, streaming out of the street and back upon the marketplace. Someone gave the word to fly. Trumpets were blown distractedly, some for a rally, some to charge. It was plain that a great blow had been struck, and the Lancasterians were thrown, at least for the moment, into full disorder and some degree of panic. And then, like a theatre trick, there followed the last act of Shoreby battle. The men in front of Richard turned tail, like a dog that has been whistled home, and fled like the wind. At the same moment there came through the marketplace a storm of horsemen, fleeing and pursuing, the Lancasterians turning back to strike with the sword, the Yorkists riding them down at the point of the lance. Conspicuous in the melee, Dick beheld the crookback, he was already giving a foretaste of that furious valour and skill to cut his way across the ranks of war, which years afterward upon the field of Bosworth, and when he was stained with crimes, almost sufficed 
to change the fortunes of the day and the destiny of the english throne evading striking riding down he so forced and so manoeuvred his strong horse so aptly defended himself and so liberally scattered death to his opponents that he was now far ahead of the foremost of his knights hewing his way with the truncheon of a bloody sword to where lord risingham was rallying the bravest a moment more and they had met the tall splendid and famous warrior against the deformed and sickly boy yet shelton had never a doubt as to the result and when the fight next opened for a moment the figure of the earl had disappeared but still in the first of the danger crookback dick was launching his big horse and plying the truncheon of his sword thus by shelton's courage in holding the mouth of the street against the first attack and by the opportune arrival of his seven hundred reinforcements the lad who was afterward to be handed down to the execration of posterity under the name of richard the third had won his first considerable fight end of book five chapter three